Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have Brother Don Pell with us, and we're going to turn the remainder of our meeting this morning over to him. Brother Don, please. Good morning. I'm going to refer to initially that chapter that Brother Will read back in Genesis chapter number three. <clears throat> this morning, I want to talk about account. Ability. Accountability. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines accountability as an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. Everyone is accountable to someone. We like to think of our representatives in the government as being accountable to the voters. We like to think of the Supreme Court as being accountable to the law. We like to think that our president is accountable to everybody, the entire nation. Many of us have worked in positions where we were accountable to a boss. It seems we live in an age now where people do not want to take accountability or responsibility for their actions. Now, whether man knows it or not, and some don't recognize it as such, man is absolutely, positively accountable to God. Many live their lives as if there is no God, and if there is a God, we don't really have to worry about him because he either doesn't care about us or he, we are not accountable to him. Here's what the Lord said when he was on planet Earth. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Then the writer Romans writes, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And the writer of Hebrews amplifies it further and writes, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Solomon in his Ecclesiastes said, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Man is absolutely, positively accountable to Almighty God. On the other hand, God is accountable to no man. Almighty God is accountable to no man. Here's how Paul expresses it in his letter to the Romans. But indeed, O man... Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? And then further on, Paul writes, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? And then the writer of Hebrews says, God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater on whom to base his oath. He based it on himself, the highest power in the universe, accountable to no man. Now, God first poses the question 
in the Garden of Eden, and you just read that particular portion, or Bill just read that for us. Even in innocence, mankind was accountable to God. You remember what God said? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Notice how each person tries to avoid accountability. First, the devil, who felt he was equal to God. Lucifer declared, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He felt himself beyond accountability. Then there is Adam who tried to pass it on to his wife. The woman whom you gave to me, she gave in the tree, and I ate. And then there's the woman who blamed the devil. And here's a question that has echoed down through the ages. It appears in Scripture about four times. What is this you have done? What have you done? She replies, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The lack of accountability began with a lie. You'll not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Even today, the devil is trying to persuade men that they are not accountable to God. To the Corinthians, Paul writes, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And the devil continues that today. Jesus himself said, when he, the devil, speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now notice that the lack of accountability resulted in judgment for each person involved. First of all, there's the devil. Because you have done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast in the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we know that the devil bruised the heel of Jesus Christ when he entered the heart of Judas Iscariot at and the people there were persuaded to find him worthy of death. And then Jesus, of course, bruised the devil's head when he went down into the depths of death and defeated death and rose triumphant over death. And then Eve suffered punishment for her lack of accountability. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's a concept not very popular today. And then to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you should not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, to ask any farmer, until you shall eat it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your faith you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I know that uh, since we moved into our new home, I think I have pulled weeds more times than I've ever pulled weeds before. They thrive so well 
without any help. And we can take that idea of thorns and thistles to a greater context. Um, when I was working with Dr. Ted Dippy, he would often do this when we get to the office in the morning. He'd say, Don, more thorns and thistles. More thorns and thistles. What do you mean? Well, there's going to be angry mothers, sick babies, sick children, irate people, thorns and thistles. And if you think about it, where have you worked? And for whom have you worked where there weren't a measure of thorns and thistles? Ask any school teacher about thorns and thistles. Ask any healthcare worker about thorns and thistles. And they will tell you that life is a constant struggle, and that has to do with what was Adam down to Adam. Now God poses the very same question in another place. You remember Cain, the brother of Abel. They both presented sacrifices to God. Cain obviously felt no accountability to God. He disobeyed just like his parents. Instead of sacrificing a lamb, he brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, the ground that was cursed by God. And when the offering was rejected, rather than repent, he becomes angry. We read, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. In the Proverbs we write, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Cain felt no accountability to his fellow man when he killed his brother Abel. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So God reminds Cable, or Cain rather, of his accountability when he said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, both of them were created in the image of God, related by blood, DNA, to their parents. The lack of accountability, as far as Cain was concerned, results in judgment. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground... It shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Cain now feels the gravity of his offense. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And we often want to ask this question, and maybe you've asked it too. Why do you suppose God chose to spare Cain's life and provide him with protection. We read that the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Why did God spare his life? Uh, this gets us into two different concepts. One is the inexplainable and the unexplainable. Inexplainable mercy, unexplainable mercy. Two different concepts. Grammarist.com defines it this way. Inexplainable tends to describe things that are seemingly without logic, especially human actions, feelings, and creations, but also other things that one can't explain in rational terms. Then there's the unexplainable. That tends to describe non-human things, especially natural and supernatural phenomena, 
and is also used for human things that are difficult to explain, but not necessarily irrational. You see, God's mercies are inexplainable and unexplainable. They endure forever, the psalmist said. They are new every morning. We just sang about those mercies. Great is thy faithfulness. God's ways, they're past finding out. The scripture tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord. A lot of things have been revealed to us, but there are some things that have not been revealed, and those are the secret things that belong to all Mighty God. Let me just give you a suggestion, and that's all it is. It's just a suggestion. God gave Adam and Eve the ability to procreate. Now think about what a marvelous, marvelous thing that is. Two people can create a living person. You don't even have to be smart. You don't even have to be intelligent. You don't even have to be learned. You don't even have to be educated. You can be dumb, stupid, and procreate. <laughs> there are people with, I wish he wasn't able to procreate. He's such a, you know, unworthy person. What an amazing thing it is. And isn't it so sad when people try to interfere in God's procreation, when they try to remove this precious, precious gift that God has given to people to actually procreate. Well, remember, we start out with two women and with two sons. What God wanted them to do, he wanted them to replenish the earth. He needed Cain to do that, didn't he? He needed Cain and Cain and his offspring to replenish the earth. And probably that's a suggestion. He had, we read that Adam had sons and daughters. Generations flowing from Cain. Now, later on, interestingly enough, during the time of Noah's day, when men did, oh, what's that right? Continually, is that the word? Continually evil. And I think about living in a world, and we live in a wicked world today, but could you imagine living in a world where you, everybody continually thinks evil every single day. God got a little bit more direct with Noah when he came out of the ark. Here's what he said. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And that mandate was given before the law was ever given. Now that question is posed another time in the case of King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, a powerful king of Babylon, and his problem is that he was filled with pride. And so God arranges for him to have a dream that is later, later on interpreted by Daniel. Notice what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen to him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom 
whomever he chooses. And we find out that Daniel's prophecy came true. He's driven from the palace and he dwells in the beasts of the field. Then upon being restored to his kingdom, he reflects on his experience. Here's what he says. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. This pious, arrogant, wicked king. He does according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God is accountable to no man. What have, nobody can say to Almighty God, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven of all whose works are truth, his ways justice, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down notice of things that he recognizes concerning God. First of all, God is king of a kingdom greater than his, the king of heaven. God's kingdom is free from corruption. He probably saw his share of corruption. I can't think of one single government, one single society, one single kingdom where there wasn't corruption, including our very own as we speak today. But he says, God's kingdom is free from corruption, whose works are truth. God incorporates justice in everything he does. His ways are justice, Nebuchadnezzar writes. God is therefore worthy of praise and honor. He will now praise and extol and honor the king. And he says, God is able to deal with the prideful. He's able to put down. Almighty God does not need to explain himself and is accountable to no man, says Nebuchadnezzar. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I love it the way the psalmist puts it. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Now, one more time in Scripture, this question is posed, and this time to a Roman, by a Roman magistrate. You know about Jesus before Pilate. John's Gospel, chapter number 18. Notice what Pilate says to Jesus. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? What have you done? Jesus did no wrong by Pilate's own admission. Now think about the condescension of our Lord. He allows himself to be subjected to a Roman magistrate allows himself to be accountable to a Roman magistrate. The God that is accountable to no man reaches down to planet Earth and allows himself to become accountable to this ignorant Roman magistrate. He willingly went before Pilate knowing that he was only accountable to whom? His Father in heaven. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be 
done. Imagine how long it would have taken for Jesus to enumerate all the things before Pilate that he had done. Can you imagine that? Supposing he had taken the time to try to enumerate to Pilate all the things that he had done. In John's Gospel, there's an interesting verse, and I have often wondered about this verse. Now, you know, the Lord was on the earth how long? Two and a half, three years? Is that about right? Two and a half, three years. At least his ministry lasted that long. Probably not counting his growing up, I guess. Notice what John writes. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Wow. Which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. If Pilate had asked, what will you do? He may have received truth. The very truth that he appeared to be searching for. He asked the question, what is truth? Not knowing that he was looking directly at truth itself. For Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So down through the ages, the question is being asked to man who's accountable to God, what have you done? And he's asking that question today. What have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? What have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? The only reply acceptable to God is, I'm a sinner. And like Adam, I've fallen short of the glory of God. And perhaps as we face a new year, from time to time, the Lord is asking us, the believers saved by grace through faith, What have you done? What have you done? The response God wants to hear perhaps should go something like this. I recognize that I have been bought at a price. And by the grace of God, I desire to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are God. What have you done? Well, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. I'm subjected to all the problems and difficulties in life. But it is my desire, by the grace of God, to glorify God in my life and in my spirit, which are God's. Recognizing this simple thought, and this is a pretty awesome thought. Here's how the Proverbs explains it. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He can ask, what have you done? Every single place he chooses. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. Think about that. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. Aren't you glad that you've been saved by grace and you have an intercessor who intercedes for us when we slip or when we fall?
And the devil wants to say, what have you done? And Jesus Christ says, oh, I paid for that one. I paid for that sin. These sinners saved by grace. And the gospel message echoes down today. What have you done? We're accountable to Almighty God. Every man is accountable to Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we have a loving and a caring God to whom we are accountable. He's our master, a very good master. And we're thankful that he sees us through his son. And the accountability that we have is through the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray, Father, as we face another year that we'll be keenly aware that our Heavenly Father indeed sees and sees and hears everything. And we are accountable to the one whom we serve. We pray that by the grace of God, we will continue to serve as ambassadors for Christ and lowly servants. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.